0: Hi, this is Pastor Josh, and welcome to the Harbor Church podcast. Harbor is a place where people can connect with Jesus and with each other. And if you're looking to get connected, you can find more information at
1: harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from a guest speaker. All right, you may be seated. Thanks a lot for being with us this morning. My name is Ron, and we appreciate you coming to worship the Lord together with us It's such an honor for us personally. If you're new here or if you've been several times, but you've never stopped by our new here desk, we would like to invite you to come there. It's just a way for us to get to know you a little bit better. And then we have a gift we would like to share with you. No big deal. We're not going to buy you a Ferrari or anything like that. But we are going to let you know that we appreciate the fact that you've taken time to come and worship with us so you can have a cup of coffee on us. So please stop by there if you will, please. Uh, this morning, Pastor Josh is not with us, and uh, you may have come saying, gee, I really want to hear Pastor Josh speak, and you'd sit, oh, crud. It, listen, this is not an old crud moment for us. Our, <laughs> don't tell Josh that when he gets back. But Harbor is bursting at the seams. We We're running four services. We can't get very many more kids in our children's area. Uh, We have to put out extra chairs in several of our services, and uh, we we need to continue to grow because God has called us here at Harbor to win our community and our world to Jesus Christ. And so just because the buildings are filled doesn't mean that we've reached our goal. So we need to either relocate, start a new campus somewhere, do something to help us reach more. There there are 500,000 people that live on the Cape. And then during the wintertime, there's around 250,000. We're running about 650, so we have a little ways to go yet before we win all of them and share the gospel with them. So what we're doing is we have men here in the church that are so faithful to God, and pastors ask them to step up and speak and share with us God's truth today. And um, we're so excited for this because it lets us see that the greatest times that we have are still in our future. They're not behind us. And there are a lot of churches that if today their pastor was out of the country or out of town or sick or something like that, they'd have to close down shop. Nobody could stand in for them. And we're blessed here at Harbor with individuals that have the ability to share God's word. And so In this hour, we have John Petty, who's coming. Now, he and his wife have been married for 32 years. They have four kids. Uh, They have lived here on the Cape for 25 years. And uh, they've been here, part of Harbor, since the very beginning, meeting in Pastor Josh's house when everything first started. And uh, they're faithful. His wife sings in the worship team. His son sings in the worship team. Uh, His son is getting married this weekend. And, yeah. Yeah. We're applauding his mama is crying. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, so anyhow, what I did is I asked his future daughter-in-law, give me a word or a phrase that would describe your future father-in-law to you. I have a long document here that she wrote, but here's her statement or her opinion of her father-in-law. He's steadfast. He's sacrificial. He's a leader to all. It's awesome, it really is. He works and serves in the usher ministry. You'll see him sometimes over on this side, that little thing around his neck with all the lights lighted on that. And uh, but he's also on our our uh, uh, finance team here at the church. And then he does basically whatever Pastor Josh asks him to do. He just has a real servant's heart. He really does. And so we're proud and we're thankful to be able to introduce to you. Mr. John Petty, let's all stand. Give him a harbor welcome.
0: So that's any indicator of how it'll go right out of the gate. I appreciate that and I appreciate Allison, not just for the kind words, but what an opportunity you passed up to take some real real shots at me here this morning. But I'm excited to be here just in case you can't tell because this is my excited face. Sometimes I have to tell people it's my excited face because it's also my sad face or my worried face. It's just my face. So a lot of times emotions don't come out, but I am excited because this is the 8 a.m. service, right? Yeah, go ahead, you should be excited about that. And uh, I don't want to breed any unnecessary competition between all the other services, but today's a message about being ready and getting after a task, right? And so if I had to pick a service out of the four to say I need to get a group together that can get out the door and get on task, I'm picking 8 a.m., is that fair? So give yourselves a round of applause. That's good. That's good. But I want to give us an opportunity, well, really me, an opportunity. Before we get started, I'm just going to ask God to kind of bless us because when you're asked to do something like this, at least I am, I'm not going to put all my sin on you. I'll do that later. Um, But my heart starts to go around, oh, no, i got to stand in front of people. I don't do this every day. This is kind of awkward. I hope I don't bomb. I hope I don't put people to sleep. Like all these things go through my mind. And, and really, that's not a bad thing, right? I'm calling it a sin. It's not sinful. God's asked you to do something. You don't want to screw it up, right? So you want to do your best and be pleasing to God. <clears throat> and I don't think that's wrong, but that's not really my job this morning, to be honest with you, right? And it's a good thing, because I think a couple of you are already nodding off. So that's that's just that's not the goal here. My goal here this morning is to hopefully be able to bring you into a place, whether it's something that I say or something the worship team sings, or maybe somebody else you talk to, maybe as you interact with God's word, as we look into it, to be able to to help us to understand more of what it is God wants us to do, right? Isn't that the goal here this morning? And I pray not just that we would understand something, that we would learn something, because certainly that's part of it, but that that maybe we would be able to say, hey, you know something, because of this truth that I just learned, I'm gonna make a decision to change something in my life to better reflect how God wants me to live. And that's really what our goal here is, not just for me, but for you, because I don't know how you came in here either. I just told you what I was dealing with. Maybe, I mean, as Pastor Ron said, I have four children, and although they're long since uh, worried about me getting them ready to go to church in the morning, uh, I remember it. (laughs) So I have vivid memories of specific details of certain Sunday mornings, and so I don't know how you came. Did you have to get children ready to come here this morning? Or perhaps you were driving here and you were arguing with your spouse or somebody else, right? Not that that ever happens on the way to church, I understand. Most of you are just singing hymns on your way here. But, or maybe you came into the parking lot and somebody made an offhand comment to you, or, you know, maybe you spilled some coffee on yourself. All these different things. I don't know. I don't know what happened to you this morning, but I probably, you got some stuff going on in your head. Is that fair? And so just, I'm going to ask God to pray and help me. I'm going to ask God to help and pray you. I know certainly you're not used to seeing somebody so handsome up here. It's not something you're used to. It could distract you. And so I just want us to stay focused this morning on what it is that God would have us to learn, all right? So we're going to look at the Bible just a minute. Let's just go to God in prayer, if you don't mind. God, thanks for this morning. I do appreciate this opportunity to... to to be here, Lord, but I do in all seriousness ask you, Lord, to the power of your Holy Spirit to help speak through me, help quiet my heart and all the distractions. I pray for the the group that's here who's committed the time to be here, Lord, that you would help them to stay focused on your word as we look into it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, this morning we're going to talk about a passage of scripture where it has a kind of call to action, this idea of like getting ready and getting after it. It's in Matthew chapter nine it's just three verses i think that's josh all he trusted me with was just three verses just take these three verses and don't screw up but it's matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38 if you have your bible you can read it obviously it'll be up on the screen just in case you know sometimes i might have to turn to do this because my eyes aren't what they used to be so i might not be able to see the the scripture back there so don't let that distract you but it says jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And so here's a message that Jesus is speaking to the disciples, a little backdrop about this. So, Jesus, this is a time where Jesus is on his earthly ministry, they say, right? And so, what does that basically mean? It just, this is the time where Jesus was, you know, doing stuff on earth. So, Jesus, they believe, lived to be about 33 years on earth. And most people, whether you're familiar with church or not, you're familiar with the birth of Jesus, right? The story of his birth in Bethlehem, the manger, the nativity scene. We get most of the details, they're not necessarily scripturally true most of the time when we tell the story but if you look at the bible most of us are familiar with the story of jesus's birth there's other accounts in the bible where jesus was a little boy and one where he was a a teen but most of what we learn about jesus's time on earth was just this last three years of his life and so this passage in matthew is really more toward the end of that time as he's been going in as it says and if you go back to verse 36 or 35 rather it goes back to the time where jesus was going through towns and villages and preaching and teaching, and that's, what he, he, that's basically what he was doing. When you say, what did Jesus do for his ministry? What was his ministry? Going to towns and villages and doing what? Teaching and preaching and healing and doing miracles, and he, was, he had a specific message. And looking at that passage, what was Jesus' message that you see there? And don't worry, I'm not going to call out on you. I'll answer it for you. <clears throat> Jesus was going from town to town, and his constant message was teaching the good news about the kingdom. Good news about the kingdom. And what is the good news about the kingdom, you might ask? You're a very bright group. I appreciate you asking. The good news, or sometimes what we call the gospel, is simply this. That up until the time that Jesus comes... Now, Jesus knows at this time that he's going to be with his father. And the disciples are going to be alone. He's actually told the disciples, although they haven't quite gotten it along the way. But the good news is that up until this point, mankind was separated by God from this thing that we call sin right? It's basically selfishness toward God and your fellow man. And there's no way that we could bridge the gap between man and God because it was separated from the time the very first man, Adam, sinned to every subsequent person after him. And so Jesus' message was, and they would have understood, that he was the Messiah, the promised one to come that was going to bridge this gap and reunite mankind back to God so that they could be in kingdom with him forever and enjoy him in eternity. Is that good news? You don't sound really that jazzed about it. Let me explain it again. Mankind, it's absolutely impossible for mankind to be united with God except through the work that Jesus Christ is going to do. He knows he's going to complete that work, so he's going from town to town and telling people, hey, the wait is over. Do you understand that between the New Testament and the Old Testament, there's like 400 years, they call it the silent years. Think about 400 years where God didn't speak. How many generations is that? And then enter Jesus' ministry and he's going from town to town and he's doing these things. He's saying, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one that you all this time and I will reunite you with God in heaven. You now have access to God. That's good news. And not only that, that the people in his time, obviously that carries through to us, but all of the things he was doing, the healing and the miracles, all authenticated his ministry. It's one thing if I tell you Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. When He tells people, and He raises dead people back to life, when He heals sicknesses, when He takes and turns and casts out demons, He authenticates His ministry every single time that He does that, not that He needs to, but He has the power. And so, really what this passage is, Jesus is going through, and again, what what He tells His disciples in the end, is that, listen... Here's how it's going down. That everybody needs to hear about Jesus and it's your job to tell them. That's the point. Everybody needs to hear about Jesus and it's your job to tell them because like I said Jesus knows that he's going away and all the time as you walk Jesus is going around with his disciples and he's doing these ministry, and he's doing his ministry and then they're watching him do this ministry because Jesus knows at some point when he's gone the disciples are going to carry on that ministry. Listen to me, if you're here this morning and you're a believer, this message is the same for us, right? That everybody needs to hear about Jesus, and whose job is it to tell them? It's ours. So we're going to take the rest of our time this morning and kind of break down this passage and look at Jesus' message you know, uh, <clears throat> to the, the crowd, and Jesus' message to the workers, and then finally the call to action. But I want to start by looking at the, the first one, is that Jesus' commentary on the harvest. I'm going to be honest like you would expect I would, right? Why would I be dishonest? And if you are dishonest, you don't usually lie. I'm going to lie and tell you it's not true. Uh, I'll be honest and tell you that when I went through this passage, this was really difficult. Not in content or not even understanding what it was about. Like personally, I struck... Can we, was this a safe place? Okay. Personally, I struggled with this first part that I'm going to talk about, so we might camp out here longer than the other ones. This Jesus' commentary on the harvest, this crowd of people, right? And I struggled with it because you're going to see in a minute, let's actually just read the verse in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Some say they. would say it was helpless and harassed and all kinds of different versions. Basically, this was a group of people that had no direction, right? They were religiously minded people, many of them, right? Jesus was preaching in synagogues and other places. So these people weren't like anti-God even. They were just confused. There's Roman gods. There's the Jews. There's all the political strife that's happening at that time. And here's a crowd of people kind of gathering around and they don't have any direction. And so Jesus looks upon the crowd and what does he have? He's got compassion, and I struggled because when I thought about it, I'm like, John, you, I don't think you have the same compassion toward people when I see a crowd, and then you can all judge me, but, and I'm fine with that because it's, you know, you're better than me. I get it, but I don't think I do. Pastor Ron mentioned that my son, John, is getting married on Friday, and uh, we're pretty excited about that, right? That's a good time. And so, uh, I, as he also said, I grew up in upstate New York. So I've been here for 25, a little over 25 years, actually. But I know true Cape Coders will never accept us. Because, <clears throat> like, our great-great-great-grandparents weren't raised here. So I get that. That's fine. But we've been here for a long time. But I grew up in upstate New York. And uh, Joanne's got a brother that's coming in from Florida. And, uh, and John's Marion Allison, who you know. She's on staff here. A very bright, articulate woman. And which is surprising because she's from the South. You know what I mean? It really is. It's, it's always surprising to me. And then you can say, well, how bright is she? She's marrying your son. Like, oh, that's fair. You know? So, <clears throat> but she's coming from, uh, she's got a lot of family coming from Nashville. And so obviously the wedding, we're going to have the wedding, and we have got have all these people in from out of town. So my wife and I were like, let's open up our home the next day because people will be here they'll need a place to hang out, which was a great idea and and truly I was excited about it, but it took me about all about four seconds from excitement to like, oh crap, I got to mow the grass, I got to get the chairs out, and then there's all kinds of stuff, my wife's going to be a maniac for the first three days before they get here, like not that she would be because she's very calm most times. The point being is, I saw all these people, people I love and care about, right? These aren't, this isn't some random crowd. These are people that I know, I'm excited about. And what I'm seeing, all of a sudden, it goes from excitement to dread because I see the work that's required of all these having all these people. Jesus sees the need and not the work, right? He sees the need that people have. He has compassion on them because he sees them as that I am the answer. If they would only get connected to me, I could direct them. And if I'm honest, my compassion is not there sometimes because all I see people as is work. Like, hey, we're going to have a whole big thing at church here in a couple weeks, right? And I say, that's work. we got to get out chairs and tents and we got to be nice to people. I might have to talk to people I don't know. Like all this work. Right? Oh, it's just me, right? It's only me, I know. John is terrible. How does Pastor Josh let that guy get up and talk to anybody? Like, and you're not wrong. But I struggle with that because people are hard, right? And sometimes even in our own family, it's strong. And I said to myself as I threw this, like, yeah, John, you, you're not very compassionate. And so that's great. So put up the sackcloth and ashes on and walk around and feel bad about yourself. Well, how can I move from not having compassion to having compassion? Well, first, like I said, I gotta stop looking at people as work. It might be my first tendency to go there and look at the need that people have and say, oh man, this is a lot of work. Or I can say, hey, I have an opportunity to serve people. When you do that, an amazing thing happens in your mind. You know, When you start to serve and look at other people's needs, all of a sudden yours become not so important, right? Nobody has to tell me, wake up. When I wake up in the morning, I'm already programmed to take care of John. That's what I'm on mission to do from the time I wake up out of the bed. Get, make sure I'm comfortable, I'm fed, I'm good. Like, and so, unless, when I want to start to please God and enact His Holy Spirit that's living within me, what I need to start doing is part to say, okay, John, yeah, you want to make sure you take care of yourself, brush your teeth, but that's also for the good of others. But why don't you start looking around you for the needs of other people where is it that god's going to use you today and stop looking at them as work and avoiding that right have you ever say somebody and avoided them because of the conversation sometimes that's wise i'm not going to just make a blanket statement say that you should always engage sometimes it's good to disengage but if we're honest and maybe again you can just think bad thoughts of me i'm fine with it sometimes you're avoiding people because of the work this is going to be a hard conversation. I don't really want to get into all that, right? I might have to show some love and kindness, and their life's kind of a mess, and they're really needy right now, and I don't want to give. Is that unfair? Is that just me? Because I'm more focused on the work than the need. If I want to have compassion like Jesus has, if if the goal here is to do what? Remember, what is the goal? Everybody needs to hear about Jesus, and who's supposed to tell them? If I see people who are, do you think that there's lost and confused people around you? Do you think there are people who need leaders around us right now? And it's our job to tell them. It is our job to tell them. This is the same Jesus then as he is today. That this is a Jesus who's going to give you a hope and a future. And again, the kingdom of God is awaiting you in eternity in heaven. And that's, Do you think that's a pretty big deal? If you had a, a, the cure of a terrible disease and you were holding on to it, how selfish would we be? Yet how many times do I hold on to the truth around people who are in need of hearing it because I'm too selfish to give it to somebody else, right? And I know that that's harsh to say, I'm saying it about me, but I also know that it could be true about many of you. And so we need to move our place where we stop seeing people as work and need and start to see the compassion and say, hey... How can I help meet the needs of this person to usher them into the kingdom? And not only usher them to the kingdom into all of eternity by the work that Jesus did, but also gives them purpose on life as well. Because this message about Jesus isn't just for the afterlife. That's the greatest news, is eternity in heaven. But Jesus calls us to give us a hope and a future and a purpose in our life right now. We don't have to wait to go to heaven for that. And the people around us need to hear that, and we need to tell them. Another thing I see in this message, uh, this passage, is not just that the lack of compassion that, and that I might have towards you, or how do I get compassion, and the other one is just the reliance upon uh, God's Holy Spirit, and talking about how do I get compassion, if I'm struggling with compassion. Because you can say, sometimes people say, well, I'm not really a people person. You ever heard that before? Have you ever said that before? Listen, this is a safe place, you already told me, so I'm going to come out, I'm going to come out. So you can say I'm not a people person. Some people are energized by being around large crowds of people, right? Some people are depleted. But that's your personality, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to say that that's not true, because de- that's definitely true, because I know, because I'm not necessarily a people person. But just because you're not a people person doesn't mean that you can't be compassionate and be energetic when it comes to serving the needs of others in this crowd and by the way all you people people right those people energized by the crowds just because you love being around people and you get energized by crowds of people doesn't mean you're compassionate right you love being around people but that doesn't i've been around a lot of people that love to be around people and they're kind of mean sometimes they're mean to other people You like being around them, but you're not always loving to them. And so this isn't a, I'm trying to make the point that for for us to learn how to be compassionate like Jesus, we need to not stay in our lane of who we are. We need to focus on who God's going to make you. And so you might not be a people person, you might be an introvert, or you might be an extrovert, or wherever you are on the spectrum of personality, God gives you the Holy Spirit when you make a decision for Jesus Christ, who's going to take the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He's going to remove you the way you are and give you the way he is. We just have to be obedient to the call. So we start to step in the direction God asks us to do, and his power will transform us from the inside out, from somebody who's selfish and focused on only the work that it takes of people to someone like Jesus who can focus on the needs and be compassionate in people. And So my challenge to you is say, what are you doing throughout the course of your day And so look at the schedules that you had. By the way, your schedule and your bank account is the best way to show you what you love. And I'm sorry to say it, even with my own life at times. And I look at my schedule and I'm saying, man, it seems like you're too busy to do this talk about Jesus thing. But what if I don't have to change anything in my schedule? What if I just took that same attitude and said, you know what? Instead of focusing on me during all these tasks, let me use whatever I have to do. It doesn't mean like i got to block out Saturday from 7 to 4 to talk about Jesus. I don't think that would be the right move. I think the right move is to look at all of the calendar and all of the things you have to do and say, God, with all of the activities I have, where are you here? Where is the need here? You're going to come into contact with a lot of confused and harassed and helpless people. But are you going to be focused on the task that you have to do or are you going to be focused on the person? And God didn't create us to do tasks. He didn't. he didn't. If there's one task He did, if you want to call this a task, this is the task He created you to do to tell other people about Him and to show love to His people. And that's what I need to start to focus on. So don't necessarily have to change my schedule, but maybe this week, just take not just this week, but maybe in general I start to look at the things ahead of me, not just for what I have to do, but who I'm doing it with and who I'm doing it for. The next time the next part we're going to talk about is <clears throat> jesus cr- is uh, critique of the harvesters or the the harvest and by the way they would have known what this harvest was i don't know if you grew up, i didn't grow up on a farm <clears throat> so a lot of the farming analogies get lost on me but i do know what a harvest is and so the crowd that he was talking to this idea of a harvest is basically talking about the people of god that are going to be brought to the kingdom of heaven this is the harvest that he's talking about and he critiques the harvesters Which are the people who, that's the believers who are charged with going out and telling other people about Jesus. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's a critique, it's just more of an observation. Um, But I guess it's kind of a critique. I don't think it really matters. Do you? Let's just move. So, Luke chapter, we're going to go to Luke and look at that. And it says, Luke chapter 10. It says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all towns and places that he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. What do you notice that, how is Jesus sending out the harvesters? You can say it out loud. It's okay. No one will get in trouble. And pears, did they go alone? No. And so that kind of stands in the face of rugged American individualism doesn't <laughs> and so there used to be a phrase called Lone Ranger Christians right and then I realized I think it was Pastor Josh or maybe Pastor Ron who did a message one time referring to the Lone Ranger and I realized there's a lot of people who have no idea who the Lone Ranger is and so I was a little bit bothered by that to be honest with you like how do you not know who the Lone Ranger is and I'm like well that was an old show when you were a kid and some might say that I was old they'd be wrong but they would say that so the, you may not know who the Lone Ranger is, but you kind of get the idea what a Lone Ranger Christian is just by the name, right? A believer all by themselves. And if you don't know who the Lone Ranger is, you can Google it or you can find an old guy. Um, 8 a.m. service on Sunday. Good chance of finding an old guy here. Just saying. So, but the idea of being a Lone Ranger Christian, this idea of trying to get through life by yourself, all by yourself, like I'm the guy, like I can do it all alone, you know. I get that, right? I like, kind of like that idea myself. Like, I don't have to interact. I can just do this thing about telling people about Jesus. I can tell people about Jesus. I don't need to do it two by two or with 72 other people. Why would I do that? Well, the problem with that, well, number one, the biggest problem with that is that you'll find that nowhere in Scripture. You won't. This idea of working it alone, going it alone, you, that's not scriptural. That's not what God calls us to do. Think about Jesus' example, right? Jesus is God. God. Walking on earth and chooses to do ministry with 12 other people. Why would Jesus does Jesus need people to help him? <laughs> no. Well, I think part of the reason he's doing it is obviously he's training them because, like I said, he knows he's going to go away and then this is going to be their ministry to do. So part of it is training, but I also believe, just from what we see in other areas of scripture, for one, Jesus loves these men and takes and cares for them, but Jesus is modeling out for us how ministry is done. It's not a solo act, right? You just think about it, right? The the harvest is plentiful, right? And I don't, again, I apologize about farming because I don't know a lot about it, but I will say there's more than one kind of harvest, right? There's more than one kind of grain. Like if you were a grain, what kind of grain would you be, right? I'd probably be like a vanilla bean, right? That would probably be me as a vanilla bean. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know if beans grow in a harvest, but the whole point I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to get is that there's variety, right? There's a variety of harvest. Why are you laughing because I said vanilla beans? Whatever. It's, I'll say some are rye and some are barley, you can figure it out and some are wheat, whatever, whatever you might want to be. But the, I'm trying to get you to understand there's more than one kind, right? And so if only one person is doing the work of the ministry, it's not going to be appealing to everybody, is it? And So if we're doing it right, the harvest is going to be multi-grain, right? (laughs) That we're going to need lots of different people and lots of different flavors, and all of a sudden it's not just about you. And so if I stay focused on only thing about me, it's just going to be a church full of vanilla beans or whatever it is. Like It's not going to be an exciting place. It's, and if I'm only thinking about what's pleasing to me, then I'm not thinking about the mission, which is everybody needs to hear about Jesus, and I'm supposed to tell them. I'm not here to create a place just for me and work just for me and what's pleasing to me. That's the wrong focus. I need to work collectively with people around me who, by the way, might... ever do group projects? Aren't they fun? What if there was a place... Now, just work with me for a minute here, and I know it's early, but go, go go with me to the place, right? This magical place. If there was a place where we could gather a group of people around who were different, who had different abilities, different talents, different giftedness, but were all centrally joined through the power of one spirit, and they had somehow come together on a regular basis to tell other people about Jesus. Could you imagine if there was a place like that? Right. You get it, right? (laughs) That's us. That's the church. And the minute as the church we start to stay focused on us, we're missing the point. God's created us to work in community for a lot of different reasons. Whether you believe it or not, one of them is because we need it. We need to make sure that we reach more people for Jesus, and we're going to need to use other people to do that. And it's not just our way. When we start to come together as a church, we need to collectively say, maybe this thing that we're doing isn't appealing to you. But that's the point, is that the gospel message came to you on its way to somebody else. And we're supposed to reach other people. And so as we start to welcome people, as we talked this morning in the rally, it was the idea of just like somebody had mentioned the, the greeters going out with umbrellas on Thursday night when it was raining. They just saw a need and they started meeting it and they started reaching out because they're not focused upon keeping themselves dry. They're okay to get a little wet in service. If that brings somebody else into a place where they can hear about Jesus, we're going to do that. And that's got to be our heart attitude, that we're willing to work with other people who might be different from us, embracing the idea that, that we don't know everything, and focusing on the needs of other people as we do it. Lastly this morning, I want to talk about the call to action. Whose power do we need? Don't get nervous, I'm not lost. like oh no he's cracking he's not cracking he's just old so his brain is like on a 20 second delay sometimes and so I know we're moving on to the next topic and I was a little ahead of myself in my words so you just got to wait till the words catch up with my brain but Jesus call to action is next right his call to action we're going to talk about that and for that we're going to look at the next verse in Matthew chapter 38 One of the things I kept going through with myself when I was looking at this passage is like, okay, how come there's so few workers? (laughs) The harvest is plentiful, but there's so few workers. Maybe it's because of the compassion thing. They're struggling with the idea of loving people. Maybe it's because they're not willing to come out and work with other people. But Jesus has the remedy for the problem here, doesn't he? He says this, Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. You know, there's so much about prayer um, that I struggle with, to be honest. Again, it was a safe place, right? <laughs> that if you said, and I'll just use a silly example. So if the task was stack a thousand bricks up over here, right? First of all, no one would sign up for that task. But that, say that was the task, you know, put up a thousand bricks. God would say you should pray before you work, right? But I, in my mind, I struggle with prayer because... well. The whole time I'm praying, what's not happening? No bricks are getting stacked. <laughs> Nothing's happening. I'm not moving the needle at all. And so I struggle with prayer because it's seemingly inactivity to me sometimes, right? And so I would like and also it's kind of counterintuitive, right? We're like, okay, we gotta go. We gotta get after it. So it's there's a time thing. there's this expedience. there's this whole idea of like visible, like even not even just so other people see, but even so I feel accomplished, right? I like to complete tasks. I don't know about you. It brings some sort of, you know, pleasure to my mind that says, oh, you did something. You feel good about yourself today, or you did this, or you did that. And so putting prayer in the mix of that, it seems sometimes like, oh, wait, don't do that. And I know many of you, and and I mean this sincerely, many of you have seen the power of prayer displayed so many times that you're just like, yeah, I'm going there at first every time. And for that, I, I just, I appreciate that. But, but, but in my heart, and I have seen that too, but sometimes my heart is still tempted to push this idea of prayer out as like, okay, you know, we have something we, we do in formality, but it's not something we do in practice. Where's the power coming from? It's coming from God. Who can change one human heart in here? Is there anybody here who has the power to take a heart of stone to make it a heart of flesh? Is there anybody here who has the power to make somebody understand something that they don't understand? Is there anybody here who in and of their own power can change their very nature of who they are? No. But who can? So where should we go to ask for help? (laughs) So that's the whole idea. You know, we we look at prayer, at least I look at prayer sometimes, and this is the most vital part of everything that we're going to do as a church. We're asking to do God's work. We're going to need God's power. The disciples went around with Jesus. Jesus was healing people. It was his power that he was doing it. They had to do the work. Like if you think back to the feeding of the 5,000, right? This was a, it's a very common uh, miracle that Jesus did where he again comes upon a crowd of people and Jesus has compassion on them. The disciples see, oh man, we got all these people to feed. How are we going to do that? Jesus is like, you're going to feed them. Go feed them. He's like, oh, okay, well, how are we going to do that? He's like, we'll take these loaves and fishes and start handing them out. And as they do, Jesus causes the fishes and the loaves to multiply. It's a miracle. But the disciples had to put their feet to work. But it was his work, his power. In Mark chapter nine, remember, remember there was a demon possessed uh, boy. And the, and the disciples went to him continually, again and again, to try to get this, de- this demon out of this boy, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And finally, Jesus comes on scene, and this is one of my favorite verses, It's where the father, he's, he comes to Jesus, he says, if you can heal my boy, please do it. And Jesus is like, if I can do it? <laughs> if I can? And maybe remember the, the passage, it says that, you know, the father comes and he says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Like this contradictory statement, which I've Just continually go back to sometimes. But do you remember Jesus' answer after he casts out the demon? After he casts out the demon and all the stuff gets settled down, and Jesus has this amazing display of his power. He gets brought, all his disciples start gathering around him again, and they're like, Man, Jesus, we've been trying to get that demon out. How the heck did you do that? He's like, Well, this is the only one that comes out with prayer. All of the things that we need come from God's power. Everything that we do for God, we need His power. And so the call of action this morning is to access His power to do the work that He's asked us to do. If everybody needs to hear about Jesus, it's our job to tell them. Listen, there's only two groups according to this passage. If we look at this passage, there's only two groups in here this morning. People who need to hear about Jesus... And who need to understand that he is the way and the truth and the life that he is the savior that he is the one who will make the crooked things straight for you he's the one who will bridge the gap and connect you to eternity in heaven forever he's the answer for your marriage he's the answer for your addiction he's the answer for whatever ails you i promise you i'm not just talking that i'm telling you i've experienced the love of christ on my in my life on earth to give me direction and hope and a purpose he is the answer and maybe you're at a place this morning where you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. You're you're part of this potential harvest. These people in this group that need to hear about Jesus, you need God's power to make that choice. And so pray to the Lord of the harvest this morning that you would make that decision. And there's another group of people in this group. And I can, by the way, I can't tell. <laughs> Maybe we should ask the people before they come in and give them different colored t-shirts. This (laughs) guy said Do you think that I don't think that's a good plan? But I can't tell. I seriously I can't tell. And so and there's a lot of people who may think that they have a relationship with God. But in either case, if it's your job to tell people about Jesus and you want to do the work of Jesus, and you want to try to have a heart of compassion, and you want to try to get connected with other people who don't think and act like you, and you want to serve people and make changes in your life, you need God's power too. And we need to pray for that. So we're going to close out by that. If I could just leave you with one thing in this idea of telling other people about Jesus, it would be simply this, that God wants to make this a priority in your life, that the time of the harvest is now but not forever. I'll say it again. The time of the harvest is now, but it won't be forever. This is the most important message that people will ever hear on the earth. Period. That Jesus loves you. He died for you. He paid the price for your sins so that you could be connected with God in eternity forever. There is absolutely nothing more important than that. I pray this morning for us whether it's the first time we've heard that message or it's our job to keep speaking that message, that we would be reminded how important and serious it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, I do thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, but mostly I thank you for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave me lost and abandoned and confused that I was part of a crowd at one time, Lord, that didn't know you and was lost and needed a shepherd. And Lord, I'm so thankful that through your power, you transformed my heart and brought me into a place of understanding. And Lord, I so thank you for the people who gave me that message and who loved and cared for me enough to show me the way. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's somebody under the sound of my voice, Lord, who, who is in that place lost and confused, needing hope, needing a future, needing a way out, Lord, and I pray right now for your spirit to affect their heart, that they might just simply turn to you and ask, ask you to be their Lord and ask you to be their Savior. Lord, I thank you, and Lord, I pray for those of us who've made that decision, Lord, that it's it's here, Lord, it's at this place, it's at the foot of the cross, Lord, where we're all in need of your power that we wouldn't look to our own strength, our own personalities, our own wits to get this work done, but that we would look to you. And Lord, as we pray, Lord, as we continue to pray and ask for your power, Lord, that we would make those necessary decisions in our life to show that this reflects the priority. Lord, help me, Lord, as my busy life goes, to make sure that I'm on point for you. I ask for your power in this, Lord. I ask for your power around these people. I pray your blessing upon this day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor Church as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and the world around us, you can visit harborchurch.com backslash give. Or you can text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.